I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place, so make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome, everyone, in this new Let's Talk AI episode. Today, I'm super excited. I'm with Vin Vashista. Vin, can you describe yourself in a few sentences? Uh, wow. Um, 25 years in technology, spent the last almost 11 years now in data science and machine learning. Uh, started out trying to go to school for data science. It was before data science became a thing. So I had to go into traditional software development, software engineering roles, 2012 came around, started B-squared, got into data science, machine learning, applied machine learning research, strategy, developing organizations, and now I teach. It's been, it's been a crazy career. Love the whole thing. Wow. There is a lot to talk about. Uh, we have one hour, so we will take uh, the best of this time to try to, to capture value, know you better, know what drives you. Uh, maybe get some insights of the future and, and some tips for people in the field. Uh, we'll try to capture all of that. But first of all, I would like to have your, uh, I would like to know you a little bit better um, on a few things that are out of uh, LinkedIn and your professional career. Do you have any hobbies, some things that, that you like to do to, to kind of balance this uh, lifestyle of uh, this, the work, the words that you do and, and all of this? I uh, enjoy time with my family. It's probably the most enjoyable hobby I have. It's just spending time with them. Uh, enjoy a good story. So I like watching shows, series, reading books about just interesting characters, good stories. I haven't read a lot of good nonfiction books lately or mm. a good fiction book, excuse me, lately. So don't have mm. any good book recommendations. Uh, enjoy poker. Still play Texas Hold'em. Mm participate okay. in tournaments absolutely love it i think that's one of my favorite game type activities i'm a baseball fan as you can maybe see behind me yes i'm a <laughs> suffering giants fan right now because our ownership is trash <laughs> so those are the majority of my hobbies i wish i had time for more hobbies I definitely have a lot more interests but uh business family it, it keeps me busy mm. okay thanks thanks Uh, I would like to ask you later on, maybe, how do you re relate poker and your analytic uh, point of view? Um, I think that can be interesting. But yes. maybe uh, I would like to ask you first, 25 years of career. Uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's very big. Um, to me, it is uh, a whole lot more times than my time of career. Um, how do you feel after... 25 years of career in one field um, and what are maybe the key lessons of the growing that you've experienced uh, in this time? It doesn't really feel like I've been in one field mm. because technology for me has been an arc. I started out with in college at my own really small business. Installed the, the networks and PCs and mm. put, hard, you know, put software on, did antivirus stuff did web development, a little bit of database development, database management, 
Mm. Went from there to installing systems for a company, really small business. I've done quality assurance, software engineering, project management, uh, technical writing and specifications, writing product management, data, basic data analytics, data science, more advanced machine learning and research. Then the strategy side, organizational development. I, I feel like I've had seven careers in yeah. the time, you know, since 1995 when I had my first, we call it first real job, 1995 until now. Yeah, it's been a long time. I'm getting old. And it definitely feels like a lot of different careers. And I think that's what's made me successful because mm. I'm always looking for something interesting to be doing instead of looking at what I'm doing as the thing I will do for the rest of my career. Mm. That's always helped me keep my learning journey going mm -hmm. because if I'm always doing something new, I'm always learning something. I'm getting prepared to do something else. Mm. I've been at the bottom of a profession enough times now and had to learn my way up. I respect people that are taking that journey. I really respect anyone who's transitioning careers. Mm. I have a good perspective and appreciation for multiple, multiple views, multiple backgrounds. Mm. Having a diverse team is important more than just diversity from demographic standpoint. It's mm -hmm. diversity of thought, diversity of background and where you came from, how you came into the field. I think mm. all of those are very important. That mindset, I have a growth mindset by nature and by necessity that served mm. me very well. So I think it's the, just the goal itself, continuously improving, developing, going to do the next interesting thing mm. has accidentally developed a whole bunch of successful characteristics. Awesome. And you mentioned that at the very beginning, when you were in high school or in college, you had your own business already. Mm -hmm. How how would you explain this motivation to where some of some of people would just study and focus and then get a master and then start doing things? How would you explain that uh, at this uh, early stage you wanted to build value and, and, and build a business? I don't know that I intentionally started the business. I think I mm. accidentally started the business. Mm. I was looking for a way to make more money than I could at the student computer lab or working mm -hmm. a on-campus job. And I found out how much money that uh, people doing basic tech support back in the 90s mm -hmm. were making. Mm -hmm. They were charging $120 to $150 an hour to install RAM in a computer or mm -hmm. to upgrade the PCs, uh, CPU, or CPU, really basic things. So I started, I just put the ads out and said, hey, I can do all of this stuff. What would you like me to do? I got a CompTIA certification for hardware, one for software and installing operating systems. I made a lot of money. So it was almost greed that got me mm -hmm. into starting that first business. Just didn't, I did not want to make seven, $8 an hour and really have to work a ton of hours while I was trying to learn earned my way to a computer science degree. I ended up with a physics degree. <laughs> took a meandering path, but I just did not want to do the grind of it. I wanted to find a better way. I think mm. entrepreneurship provides opportunities for people to bet on themselves. Hmm. That's super interesting because in your story, 
Um, if we look just from the big picture, I always like to, to start to know how the big picture in, and we can see that later on in your, in your parkour, in your background, you, you've done research. And it impressed me that you started building web websites and tech support, but it's not like doing this today because back then, correct me, there weren't as many documentations and YouTube videos for you to learn anything. So there wasn't anything. Stack Overflow didn't uh, exist. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's impossible for me to think, you know, like going without Stack Overflow, I think in five years, people will say going without ChatGPT or something like that. Uh, we would seem impossible, but how how did you learn back then, and how did your personal growth guide you through doing uh, research and a, and a P and a PhD? Oh, I didn't do a PhD. Oh, sorry. Um, like like doing research. Well, just doing research was. I did the early version of data science, and I think it's the same version that most data scientists did between 2015 and 2017. I just started earlier and I worked on some, some research projects and implementations with actual hard sciences, mm. researchers and PhDs. So when I would present findings to them and when I would present the model to them, they would absolutely destroy me. Mm. They would say, this isn't rigorous. This isn't scientific. This is trash. I can't use oh. any of this. And it was, a really, if you've never been in an academic review setting before with applied researchers and applied engineers, physicists, you've never had that level of aggression turned on you because they work so hard to produce the results and the research that they do. To have someone who's a data scientist come in and sort of halfway it do less than rigorous processes, they beat that into me, the rigor and the need for reliable models. It actually has to work. I have to have evidence to support the model's functionality. I have to explain the function that the model has learned and support it with something more than just the data. I had that scientific rigor beaten into me. That's how I got here. Back when I first started, It was the wild west for software engineering, for web development, for database development. There was no security. I mean, I can't tell you the number of SQL instances that I worked on that were on the network, completely accessible, no password, nothing, no security at all. If you knew where it was, you could log in and get whatever you wanted to. Websites with zero security, you know, FTP dumps where you could have just updated the website if all you knew, all you had to do was know how to do the FTP part. It was uh. security by obscurity. We had the worst practices. Data oh science has gone through some very similar times, the Wild mm. West period. Where we are now is where I saw software development in the early 2000s. Mm. Products are in users' hands at scale. When that starts happening, people demand that your products work and do what you claim they are supposed to do. Mm. It's no longer enough to have the PowerPoint presentation that says we're using AI. No one cares. Customers mm. are looking for some sort of functionality that they can't get from someplace else or from some, some other mm. company. Mm. Now we have to figure out how to do this correctly. We have to figure out the best practices 
we've had enough embarrassing stumbles with data breaches. We have to include the security side of it. We've had enough mm. ethics issues. We have to include AI ethics and governance into mm. our, our approaches. We have to explain reliability. We have to be rigorous. So I, I got lucky because I saw this happen with software. Now I'm mm. seeing it happen with data science and I've been able to get in front of it because I recognized that I was seeing the same trend repeat itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a perfect transition for me to, to ask you, what drives you today? A lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> I would definitely say coffee is a big driver and motivator <laughs> for me. Okay. I mean, I mean <laughs> what, like what, what are your drivers in terms of um, like career wise, uh, your company, what are you doing today? Because we've seen that you've done so many things. You've started building websites tech supports, you've done research, then you are working with softwares, and then you get into data science. You faced a wall because uh, there was some expert there that, and you learned the hard way, uh, the hard way, if I understood correctly. So with all those years of experiences and then building businesses, um, at what stage are you today and what do you want to achieve in the future? I've got to say, I'm so much older that not everyone's going to understand this answer. So I just want to preface it that way. <laughs> I am looking for challenges. Mm. I take on clients very selectively. I'm enjoying teaching tremendously. That's one of the things that motivates me is mm. starting to teach people in the data science field how to deliver value mm. instead of just delivering solutions. I think we've gotten to the point where data scientists are educated and trained to deliver solutions. Now it's time mm. to start delivering value. I'm enjoying teaching leadership and strategy, helping companies monetize all of this technology because I feel like they've put a lot of money into this field and helped mm. our field grow and develop to the point that it's at now. I want to give back. I almost feel like some of the work that I'm doing is uh, open source monetization teaching companies, okay, you've given us a lot. Why don't we teach you how now to make some cash off of all of this? Because data science is, it's an enormous cost saver and revenue generator for companies. Mm. But companies struggle with that because they put the technology first mm. instead of starting with business strategy. And so you can hear those are the pieces that I'm passionate about. I think companies should be rewarded for all the work that they've put into this. I think they deserve that payout that they've been promised. And I want to help the field deliver that side of it, become more business friendly, business focused, but also we're going to have societal benefits from this. When we do data science in a rigorous way, ethics, governance, security, putting people at the center necessitates that we do things better from mm -hmm. a societal and impact standpoint. Mm -hmm. Monetizing means we are responsible to shareholders. And that also brings with it a societal responsibility. If we do something that embarrasses the company, the company loses value. So we are by necessity, secure, ethical. We're going to, by connecting ourselves to value, to revenue, we're going to mature the field very quickly. And we're going to mm -hmm. take a lot of the the theory 
turn it into applications, practical, real-world implementations. We'll learn more in the next five years from watching people use products than we have in the last 10 in the laboratory doing research. Mm. I think the next five years are going to be really exciting. I don't think at my stage in the a career that you can continue working in technology if you're not excited about what the technology will deliver in the next five years. Hmm. So my focus is now moving into that C-level leadership side of our business, trying to clear the lane for more initiatives, more work, more data scientists to work their way in, building internal training and upskilling programs in businesses that bring more people into our field make mm-hmm. the field more accessible to people that are going to be displaced by data science and machine learning. Mm-hmm. HR right now and recruiting is seeing deep impacts. Finance is going to be next. We'll see data science begin to automate more pieces of jobs instead of automating an entire job out of existence. But what that means is we'll have a 10% reduction in demand here or a 15% reduction in demand for people here that's not huge. We're not getting rid of anyone. But if you say 15% of this workforce is no longer employed, that's a significant number of people. So I'm really excited about getting more people into data science and out of those jobs that are well-paying, but not as well-paid as data science and data professionals are. It's a career path. And I think companies can partner with the people that are about to be displaced and put them into roles that they can't fill externally anyway, we might as well train people. So there's a lot that I'm excited about. Awesome. Thanks for all this information. I've heard you talk about how companies need to understand that AI will not replace people, but that teams need to implement AI in with them like they would treat a colleague and to understand that uh, the AI can can get it wrong because everyone in the team can get it wrong. And by learning why it gets wrong, this is how it enhances value. Um, And I think it's connected to what you say, like AI is not going to replace the jobs of the people, but it's going to to move things like like every technological evolution did uh, at some point. Uh, So I felt that was uh, super interesting when I was uh, hearing about, about this. Would you have some additional comment to do regarding how do AI bring value to business? And then I would like to ask about research, but how would AI bring value to business and how do companies need to face AI and work with it? We need holistic strategy. That's where all of this begins. In one of the courses that I teach, I talk about a concept called the technology model. We have a business model, we have an operating model, We need a technology model as Mm. a strategic tenant. That's Mm. where we begin. That's where businesses begin creating this holistic strategy for data AI. But it's not just those technologies. We're most of the way through software and cloud. We're looking at devices and IoT. Every industry has different niche technologies that may be drivers for revenue and for value. We have technologies that are coming up and that are on the horizon that will provide value to businesses. So we need an overarching strategic component Mm. that explains how the business monetizes that technology. We're also transferring 
parts of your product and the way the business operates into the technology model. It's almost like a handoff. The more capable technology gets, the more we're handing off and the more of the business relies on and the more of the product relies on technology in order to succeed. So we need this strategy component. So a holistic data strategy and AI strategy should inform decision-making across the enterprise about how, and it's not just the data organization, every team is affected by data analytics models. So we have to have a strategy that informs decision-making for everyone about all of the decisions we're making what opportunities should we go after? How do we apply this technology to produce value? Who do we have to train? Who has to become data literate? Who has to become model literate? What does that mean? When are we mm. adopting? These are all strategic questions. If we don't have a data and AI strategy, we're never going to monetize technology. Mm. It's going to be technology driving strategy. The result of that is more technology. It's not what businesses need. Businesses mm -hmm. are in existence to make money. Mm. So we have to put that concept of monetization first. And data strategy and AI strategy is how companies need to begin to think about mm. creating frameworks for monetization. Opportunity discovery is critical. It has to happen at the C-level. You need leaders who are data capable. They are analysts, data scientists, who also have strategic leadership capabilities. Mm. You need technical strategists, people who are strategic and have that data science background. All of these new roles are critical. Data product managers, data project managers. It's not just your data engineers, your data scientists, your researchers, your machine learning engineers, your ML ops. Mm. There's more, so mm. much more to this ecosystem. And businesses need to start thinking about this in terms of continuous transformation. We're transforming the business, not just one time for software, for digital, mm -hmm. and then another time for data, and then another time for AI, and then another time for, it's continuous. And if we begin mm -hmm. to plan with that longer term perspective, decisions we make today will amplify value in the future, which is another critical piece. We can't keep forklifting where we make decisions with a two-year time horizon, and then year three, we have to take everything out in order to support this new whatever. Can't do that anymore. And so we are now, data science is strategic by nature. The data that we provide to help the business make better decisions during strategy planning, it's critical. We can't have these long time horizons. So that's, in a nutshell, that's what I think businesses need to be looking at and thinking about and considering and preparing for when it comes mm. to this new future where technology is no longer a one-time generational disruption. It is every two to three years, we've got something new. So we need to be looking further out and we need to have some strategic constructs and frameworks mm. that manage this complexity that we've taken on. Awesome. Strategy is a key word, I guess, here. Strategy, I would like I would like to ask you more about strategy, like maybe some specific examples. I see two paths uh, when I think of business in data science, AI. I see the path where I'm going to build a project that will do one thing. And my goal is that it does it well, very well, and that it is very user-friendly, and then focus on marketing and adding features and 
getting feedbacks and improve um, and improve my product. And I see the products that will enhance value in the companies and reduce costs. Um, I see the two, those two ways. And before you mentioned that you were very, very specific while choosing your customers. Um, what are the projects? Maybe it's confidential. You tell me. But what are the projects that really get into your into you thinking? Okay, I really like this client. I really like what they're doing, and I will. I I think we can do great things with them. I will work with them, and then you will go into into a contract. Um, I would be interested into how do you talk with the clients and and how how does it goes. But what does the client like uh, needs? Uh, to tell you so that you want to work with him. <laughs> I want to understand that the business is ready to adopt because mm. it's not simply hire data scientists profit. That's mm. not going to be successful. If a company believes that they don't need a strategy, if a company believes that it is a simple technology hire people, give them tools, watch them produce, mm -hmm. they're going to fail. Mm -hmm. And I can't convince a C-level leader to run their business or to start thinking a different way. If they don't have a growth mindset as a business, if they're not ready to improve mm -hmm. versus making these all in, it's either right or wrong type decisions, decisions evolve, strategy evolves, strategy improves as you have new information. We make decisions with the best available information at the time. And if you get better information, well, the data paradigm, you need to then improve the decision that you made. You need to be willing to adapt, to change continuously when there are opportunities to improve the way that you're doing things. Hmm. Many companies punish people for bringing up a problem and suggesting an improvement. They are punished because that scene is bad. Oh no, there's a problem. Problems are bad. No, problems are real. That's the reality of business is nothing is perfect. Nothing's ever done. It's an effort at continuous transformation and continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. That's every layer of the business. So I'm listening for C-level leaders or somebody at the board level who's come to understand that new paradigm. They may not have a full grasp of what needs to happen as a result. I mean, that's why they bring me in. I want them to have that, that passion for this new way and new culture, new business paradigm, hmm. because the people that are looking at data and data science, like software and who are monolithic in their thinking, they won't survive. Hmm. And I can spend months trying to convince them to change. But if they're used to that big three consulting paradigm where they bring in consultants to basically prove out what they've already decided to do and to give them cover if it goes wrong. That's, that's not how data works. And so they won't be successful. So I look for companies that I can actually help and, and provide value to. And those are the ones, they are usually coming to me with a level of excitement because they've either realized the opportunity or they're starting to get worried because their competitors are moving ahead of them and their business is no longer able to compete in the same way that it used to be. They can't provide value to customers in the same way. 
So there's an excitement or sometimes a little bit of fear combined in there. Those are the best clients because there's a motivation to change. And I can't be, as a consultant, the person that comes in from the outside and says, Mm -hmm. you will change now. Mm. It simply doesn't work. There has to be a will. Okay. Okay. Hmm. You got me thinking about uh, different, uh, different topics. Uh, you got me thinking about uh, leading, uh, like uh, how do you lead people? Like once you've identified a few things you could work on and the, and the client is on board and, and you're aligned and you've discussed uh, the contracts and all of that, um, how do you set things up? Where do you start? Um, so my question would be, what is your framework to identify values in the companies, in your clients, and like um, putting the, the business in the center of the data science? And, and, and then how do you adapt the strategy that you've defined with your teams and, 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 share, and, and, and share the work? Uh, can you share about this process of understanding the business, building the strategy, and sharing with people so that the job get, gets done? I'm writing an entire book about that. So trying to fit it into a short answer is going to be difficult. <laughs> the, there are, maybe just, maybe there just are a lot of frameworks. Yeah, there okay. are a lot of frameworks that are required to do this mm. because it is so big. It touches every part of the business. And it can start in different places. That's what's unique mm. about this. There can be several drivers. You can have people at the front line, front line workers who drive the business by identifying opportunities, bringing them to the data team. And that's where it begins. It can begin at that frontline bottom up level. At some point it always needs a top down support. We need sponsors and C-level champions. We need somebody running the data organization who has a C-level role who can be part of strategy planning and that early opportunity discovery. So I have frameworks for, oh, just, Everything you can think of needs a framework because this is so different. Data is so different. We need new ways of managing and creating value. So at every level, I have frameworks for you know, the technology models. One framework, data and AI strategy has mm-hmm. multiple frameworks under it. Continuous transformation, platform strategy, Uh, hiring and talent strategies. I've got frameworks for that. Uh, Something called the core rim model, where this is how you figure out, use this core rim model to figure out what we should transfer. What are the highest value opportunities that we should be transferring from your business model and operating model into your core, into your technology model? How do we prioritize that? I have workflow discovery frameworks. I have KPIs, so the, I have an entire hour's worth of lesson where in my strategy class, I spent an entire hour explaining AI strategy KPIs, how to use them, when to use them. It's huge. Where do you start? You have to start with the assessment. That's what I start with every engagement. Where is all this stuff? Where are the people who are data resources? Some of those are data professionals, but others are, like I said, those frontline workers those people who will eventually be the targets for self-service solutions, but they're the ones who feel the need the greatest. They'll be part of a coalition that Mm -hmm. will help you get buy-in across the business. 
mm-hmm. as you begin to deliver solutions to them. And I need to know where they are. I need to know where all the data sources are. I need to understand where the infrastructure is. I have to gauge maturity, leadership buy-in. It's so much. There's so much that goes into the assessment framework. Another framework for how you figure out where the business is today. Opportunity discovery. I've got an opportunity discovery framework that surfaces opportunities from the front line, so from bottom up, and an opportunity discovery framework that's top down, that's more forward-looking and long-term. That's a C-level opportunity discovery framework. And once we have the assessment, we have to figure out where we're going. How do you know how much you need to transform before you understand the size of the opportunity? How fast are your competitors transforming? It is huge. Starting this is, that's why I say you have to have some level of buy-in and momentum. There has to be a a desire at multiple levels within the business to make this work because every part of the business is transforming. Transformation is no longer one time. It's not just this transformation. It is several transformations. Mm. We can't simply start at data science. If you look at a a workflow that we do internally, Mm. if there's no technology involved in the workflow, there is no way to capture data about it. Mm. So digital transformation is a necessary first step. We have to introduce some sort of digital transformation to the workflow so that we can gather data. Mm. We gather data, we have to figure out, well, now how do we use this data to improve the workflow? That can be a customer workflow. How do we give them more value in our product by introducing data back to them? I use an example in my strategy class at McDonald's. McDonald's did this dumb, stupid thing that's just so simple that I can't believe they didn't do it sooner. Their menu boards in the drive-through hmm. used to be these manual. You'd have to go out and change the little plastic on there. And they got tired of doing that. So they bought their locations, big screen TVs and replaced their old static menus with these big screen TVs. Somebody figured out, you know what we can do with these TVs, right? We can introduce data into the workflow. We're gathering data about orders through our point of sale systems. Hmm. Let's now figure out a way that we can introduce data into our customer workflows. How do they do that? They recommend stuff. Would you like a dessert? Would you like a you know another meal? Would you like... Now we're introducing data into our customer's workflow and making it easier for them to get the foods that they love. And sometimes, unfortunately, the foods that make us a little overweight, but you know, an apple pie every once in a while is not going to, not going to tip the scales. <laughs> but those are, now we're introducing data into the customer's workflow. Are they satisfied with this data? Does it cause a change in their workflow now that we're introducing these recommendations to them? Mm-hmm. Do they take our suggestions? Have we been able to provide value to the business? Are we seeing higher margins per ticket, per purchase? Are we seeing higher total ticket prices? Are we able to really develop that two-way relationship? Hmm. Where customers appreciate the recommendations and the recommendations serve the core strategic needs of the business. It's, hmm. it's enormous. These are long-term initiatives. If they start intentionally, Mm-hmm. These initiatives progress more quickly and they're lower cost. When they happen accidentally, like the McDonald's example, mm-hmm. it takes a long time to realize where your opportunities are. And sometimes you have to forklift and change what you put in place at first 
in order to support those additional opportunities to introduce data analytics and more reliable models into the workflow. Mm. You provide value to customers inefficiently at first, and then you have to spend more than you should because we didn't plan these from the very beginning. We didn't have a holistic strategy guiding all of these decisions across the enterprise. The person who decided we were going to put a big screen TV in there did not have a strategy that even informed them to say, maybe I should tell the data folks that I just did this so that they realize they have an opportunity here. Why would you do that if you don't have a strategy informing you? Hmm. So it's, it's huge. Hmm. So that made me thinking of, uh, so these are so great, so many great examples of how, how data science, machine learning, and new frameworks with business skills can change everything. But also in the in those examples, we implement uh, AI and data science on on things on on businesses that aren't related uh, that aren't data products. And something bothered me lately. I'm at the beginning of my career, so it might just be my lack of experience and my my need to build things I have values. But when I think of business ideas and when I want to build data projects. Uh, and I don't want to, um, I do a consultant job, so I, I, I do uh, have to think of what you shared uh, and, and how to improve processes and how to, um, how to add values and reduce costs, uh, all of that. But when I want to, to build for myself a web application, for example, I always struggle so hard to thinking of the products. Because there are so many great people out there. I feel like NLP uh, is the main thing where so many things need to be built uh, using NLP more than ever with the new OpenAI APIs. Um, but I feel like today, building from scratch, it's easier to improve processes than to build a data project. I want to ask you, how do you feel about this? And if you have ideas of data projects, or how would you build something from scratch uh, that adds value today? Start with, most startups in the data space start by solving their own problems first. Hmm. It, you'll find in data science, if you have a problem, there's probably a hundred other people that have the exact same problem or the exact same struggle. Hmm. If you want to build something from the ground up, build to solve your products, but don't make the mistake that most startups make. Hmm. Build it to be big enough to expand, to meet other ways of doing things, to meet other people's needs, because you're hmm. not going to be the only customer. Hmm. You're the customer you understand best. So that first prototype and first implementation, it's built to service your need. And then you begin to build a community around the solution. If it's novel, if it's truly a solution that's first to market or first of its kind or best in class, you'll start having people almost immediately gravitate towards your solution. Mm. Don't make the mistake of assuming that that's your entire customer base. Mm. More people will want to use something similar to your product, but they'll need it to work in different ways. They'll have different needs. And at some point, once you've figured out that initial target market, you need to start pivoting and looking at it from a bigger picture perspective. 
who else can we service? Who else needs this, but with a slightly different tact to it? Mm. Most companies, the mistake they make is when they start to scale, they try to scale for themselves and they don't realize there aren't enough of them type customers out there to mm. help their business scale. They also don't realize that the product that got them to this point is not the product that will take them to the next stage of servicing an even larger market. So mm. they don't talk to customers. Sometimes when they talk to customers, they think, okay, we're going to service everyone all at once. And we're going to implement all of these new features and make this thing amazing for everyone. That's also the wrong way to go. It's just picking another group that you're passionate about and that you understand really, really well and that you connect with mm. and then building for them and then just iterating. And it sounds like I'm talking about this big startup idea and this only applies to startups, but no, this applies if you're doing this in a business too. Hmm. You find those customers that you understand the best. That's why I say diverse backgrounds for data scientists are incredible. If you hmm. come out of marketing, you understand marketers, you know what they need, start with them. Talk with them, see what they need, build some solutions that you connect with and that the marketing team loves to use. Because when you're a data scientist and you're passionate about your customers and your users, you build very high value solutions because there's a, mm. almost a caring, you know, it's, it's the wrong word, but you feel a connection to your customers. You connect with providing solutions and you'll move mm -hmm. beyond technology at that point. You're willing to put technology on the back burner to deliver the best solution to their problem because mm -hmm. you're more interested in solving the problem then you are applying a specific technology. But it's like I said with continuous transformation, the simplest, easiest digital solution, it has a journey, it has a trajectory where you've introduced a simple solution, it meets your customer's needs, they like it, they enjoy using it, you're able to gather data, and you're building a platform. Whether you know it or not, you're on this long journey to building a platform incrementally handling more of their needs, more of their workflows, providing value to them in new ways, collecting data in new ways about new parts of the way that they use your product, understanding what's really useful to them, what needs improving, what you shouldn't have built in the first place, what needs to be abandoned altogether. You start being able to do experiments where you deliver them a feature or an improvement. You see how they interact with it. Did it actually achieve the outcome that you expected it to and delivering features or improving models becomes an experiment. It's a treatment or an intervention. And you can using the platform, figure out what the impact on your customers is, hmm. but you can see how that love for customers and that connection with a customer, it could drive this whole thing. You'll want to gather data about them. Why you have a connection with them. You want to meet their needs. You care about how they're using the platform. You care about, what they're doing. You want these few people that you work with to be delivering the highest value features possible to those people. So you're watching how they use it. And if they don't use a report, I'm either going to say, hey, it, it, what do I need to do to make this report better for you? Or if you say, well, you know, I just don't use it. Okay, great. I'm going to redirect my resources. We're going to build something even better for you. What do you want me to build next? Mm. Find those things that you're passionate about, that you find people in the organization we're passionate about hire people who are passionate about solving your customers' problems. That's one of the biggest mistakes that organizations make is they hire really smart people 
Mm. But these really smart people are passionate about something totally different. Hire people that are passionate about the products and customers that you have, and they'll learn on the job because they care enough about solving the problem. They'll figure it out. So hire smart people who are passionate, great, quick learners, and you will have a very successful data organization. Just start mm -hmm. caring about the customer. You'll find that getting passionate about solving problems is way more rewarding than getting passionate about a technology because technologies are transient. You'll be learning new programming languages and yeah. new infrastructure components and new model approaches and architectures. If you have a long enough career, you might even be learning new types of math. They might, we might be inventing new math here pretty soon. We're going to be learning for the rest of our careers. So we might as well learn about stuff we enjoy. Hmm. So many great insights from, from what you just said that will surely help me in developing my web applications. And I hope that will help also people listening. Let us know if, uh, if you're implementing at the moment uh, those tips. I feel like the, the main things I, I really liked is just always talk, to always share with the community around what you're building and get as soon as possible one thing in production, get feedbacks, change it, rethink it rebuild it, add a new feature, scale, um, add, and like going back and forth and always talk with the community. I feel like this is the best advice because like when we're very tech, when we're very good at software engineering, a lot, like a lot of the time, as you said, it's, we lose, we, we, we lose track of what are the needs and why are we doing what we're doing? And we're only focused on I want these specific models to do this specific thing. I want to do uh, this architecture, that architecture to work this way. And, but sometimes the priority is in terms of back and forth between the stakeholder. And, and so I will surely uh, apply all these tips. Um, you said so many more things that uh, I enjoy. I will need to re-listen to the podcast myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to ask you uh, about... Uh, one thing that you told me is very important to you, uh, it's education. So, um, so today we see the, like how the system works, like high school and college and, and what are being taught to us. Basically, how would you change it? <laughs> or in other words, what is your point of view on what people need to learn today? What are essential things that would allow people to enhance their capabilities and grow faster and learn more more interesting things. Can you share with us about education? I, I want to say that from a cultural standpoint and national standpoint, I think every mm. group and country have different challenges when it comes to education. So there's no one right solution. There's also no single problem that we need to solve. We have a lot of them. With that as the starting point, I think we need to go backwards and say, okay, hmm. what's the purpose of education? What are we trying to accomplish? Education should help us to do more than just regurgitate facts. Mm -hmm. Education should do more than prepare us for a single job. Hmm. We have to break it down to something more fundamental to humanity, to who we are than a profession or a, a set of knowledge that we need to pass down for some reason. 
because we really don't. What's important about this? What about this connects with the people, especially kids? What connects with kids in a way that will make them want to learn for the rest of their lives? Mm-hmm. Education isn't one time. You don't graduate from high school, go to college, graduate, and you're done. Education's every day for the rest of your life. Our careers are bigger than we can understand when we first start. If you're 22 years old and you now work to the average American retirement age, you have a 50-year career. That means at my age, I'm halfway. I'm just hitting the halfway point of my career. The distance I've traveled between 22 and today, I have the same distance in front of me to travel, and I will make that change that big of a change and growth in that amount of time. We don't educate that way. We educate like there's some kind of finish line. So that's what I would first start with is to say that you don't need to graduate from high school at 18. Who cares? You still have at 18, probably about 50 years to 55 years of career in front of you. If you graduate at 19, who cares? If you graduate at 20, who cares? If you don't graduate from college until 30, who cares? Why are we going for degrees at a certain time? Mm -hmm. If you want to start working at 15, why not? I know software engineers that start working at 15, 16, though their parents usually are people that own companies. Mm Mm-hmm. They'll bring them on as software engineers and have them working, building applications. They build some really impressive stuff, especially when you partner them up with very senior mentors. If you want to take a break from high school to do something, why don't we let people do that? Why don't we let them take on these technical apprenticeships or real world apprenticeships? If a kid wants to be a veterinarian, why not? You know, if at 12, they want to spend a year working at an animal shelter or working mm-hmm. with a veterinarian as an assistant. Why don't we let them? That's education. That's real world education happening. We're always afraid. Oh, they're going to follow you behind. Seriously? <laughs> Who cares? What does it matter? They can go back next year. The, the, the education will still be there. We need to break the way that we treat, we teach people to learn. We need to look at it as there's no end point. I think we need to get rid of degrees and diplomas because that Mm. indicates some sort of final where you finished it and you're done, but we don't do that. We're never done learning anything. Mm. Expertise is what you can apply and deep expertise is what you can teach. Mm. We need to look at education as cyclical. You learn, you apply, you teach. That's the only way education becomes sustainable. We don't have enough teachers, either in the academic world, in primary and secondary education, in businesses. We don't have enough teachers and mentors. There need to be evangelists. There need to be instructors. I mean, AI instructor, AI literacy trainer. Those are roles we need. We need someone who goes around and just teaches people who are interested in data science anything they want to know. You want a class? We got a professor. 
on staff, what would you like us to put in the curriculum for you? We need to start getting that curious in businesses. We need to give people access to curriculum and to instructors in the business, people who have done this forever. We have these distinguished engineers who are at my stage or even further into their career. Why are we having them work on projects? Don't have them just floating around teaching stuff. Mm. Almost like they're drifting. They get to look at everything and see what's going on and show up and schedule time on a meet, you know, on the calendar with the people that are working on a project and say, Hey, let me teach you something. It's going to be important. You're going to need to know this because there's parts thing, parts here you're not seeing yet. So I need to teach them to you so you can do this better. Hmm. We need to get that way in companies. We have with technology and with the pace of change, we've broken so much of the previous paradigms where Education was one of the things that used to work this way, and it no longer does. And the more we get away from logical, repetitive tasks and workflows, the more we automate those, mm-hmm. and we get into intelligent workflows where people are using their intelligence, creativity, the ability to take knowledge and things that they've learned and synthesize them to novel situations and scenarios, those mm-hmm. things that models just can't do very well. We need to teach people different capabilities. It's not about working on an assembly line anymore. We do something completely different, but we're still teaching people to memorize facts. I got Google. I don't need to memorize what happened in the War of 1812. I don't need to remember exact events in the Battle of Bastogne. I can Google that. (laughs) I can Google so much of this stuff. Why am I memorizing anything? I need to understand what the lessons, what the underlying patterns, practices, principles, Mm. what are those things? That's what I need to understand. I need to be taught to synthesize my knowledge, to handle situations that I've never seen before, potentially that my professor's never seen before. And I design classes that way. That's why I teach frameworks, systems, models, because I don't know what you're going to see in the next five years. And if I make you memorize a set of facts and call it good, I've failed you as a teacher. Hmm. I think we need to rebuild education. Hmm. That's fascinating. My long-term goal, and I share with uh, the people speaking, uh, is like, what can I build around education, like building schools? Like mm-hmm. where is where is where is uh, where are the most important location to build schools, so that the most people can access to the schools, or how what 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 is um, the teaching method? How are you going to teach things? And what you're saying is is very true because I think in the system as it is, education is you're smart when you deduce the concepts or the architectures behind what you're being taught and so you're be you're able to see it in what you're going to learn after but when at some point because of the background the family you grew up in or everything you can catch those first concepts those first frameworks and identify them then when you go to frameworks more advanced you're trying to assimilate all this knowledge and it's way harder to understand it if you don't understand the pattern because if you understand the pattern, you understand the why. And I feel like this why thing is a huge thing. And, and this is super insightful. And, 
and I'm I'm all ears to what are your AI applications in the future so that we can really help to give everyone access to to education and degrees and and really I really liked what you said about we really focus on having very good degrees and going to very good schools so that we we are in a certain certain group of people which is true it gives it gives some access to certain things mm-hmm. but enhancing those values from wherever you are being able to get those knowledge those skills understand those concepts uh, i feel like this is really where we need to go and um and i'm really interested to to hear more about that uh, uh from your point of view i would surely uh, look into your classes and, and your framework things um so regarding what i just said do you have any vision of the future of ai whether it's around education global warming uh healthcare and more general ai in the future one of the parts of ai that i'm most excited about when you said you know the why part of it's causal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we do so badly as people as good as we are at finding cause and effect and understanding cause and effect we are extremely bad at forward looking and prescriptive thinking mm. and i talked about this with careers the reason why we don't teach correctly and really we don't develop people correctly is because we don't understand the connectivity. Mm-hmm. We don't understand the long-term impacts for the business, for the individual. We simply don't see them. I, I look at data science and machine learning as a way of revealing those mm-hmm. longer-term, longer time scale impacts, providing us with insights to, if I eat this donut today, what are the long-term impacts of this donut decision? Yeah. Because we don't think that way. We really don't. We don't look at the historical and the the potential. What is this setting me up for mm-hmm. in the future? If I have one donut, we think, oh, you know, how bad can one donut be? Most times it's fine. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up over having a donut from time to time. Every once in a while, it's the sign of something else that's going on. And we don't see the bigger picture. I look at AI as being able to help us see that. So not giving our decisions over to a a model of any sort, but allowing the model to inform us about what might happen. Hmm. What are our alternatives? What would be a better choice? Really handling complexity for us. Maybe tell me why I'm craving a donut right now. What what kind of feelings am I eating right now when I eat this donut? What am I trying to escape? What I don't want, you know, what is it that I don't want to feel right now that's causing me to eat a donut? All of these deeper trends about ourselves are things that data can reveal to us. And they can help us live a better life. They can help businesses make better long-term decisions. And you realize how important it is for employees to be able to learn and continuously develop quickly, hiring an entry-level person based on the knowledge that they've memorized, if you're looking at keeping them for more than three years, our current assessment methods are useless. They're almost counterproductive. We're encouraging behaviors that do not lead to long-term high-value employee outcomes. Hmm. So we're almost hiring at the entry level for all the wrong things. 
businesses are fortunate when they do get high performers who manage to escape that uh, way of thinking that's really focused on memorization and knowledge that's static. There is a right answer. There's no such thing. There's an answer based on best available information. Come on. We're going to figure out new things later. We're going to find out better later. We just act on what we've got in front of us. I think machine learning can help us there to realize the ridiculousness of some of the frameworks that we've put in place, some of the expectations we have for ourselves. And as we exist on longer timescales, machine learning can help us manage a lifespan on long timescales, a business on long timescales, initiatives that don't last six weeks, initiatives that last six to 10 years. Those can't be managed using our current frameworks, but that's the paradigm we're in. Some mm-hmm. technologies, we will begin the journey on an initiative that will end up building a product four years or three years from now. But we have to figure out how to get value every few weeks out of the work that we're doing. We can't mm-hmm. wait three, four years to get a return on investment. We have to figure out how to get. And so it's that connection between short-term value and long-term responsibility, setting mm-hmm. up for success in the future, but also delivering incrementally on a regular basis, You know, having a donut from time to time, but not having it every Saturday. There's, there are these trade-offs and considerations that I think models can help us come to terms with, they can help us reduce complexity or deal with complexity and reduce mm-hmm. uncertainty. I think that, mm-hmm. That's what I'm most excited about is the concept of human machine teaming, where we use them to deal with the realities that are more complex than we're used to. Hmm. This is what I was referring before. Uh, human, uh, wait, 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 wait. Let me, uh, human machine teaming, right? Is it, is yep. it correct? Did I say it correct? Okay, cool. I've heard uh, you talk about um, uh, on the podcast the data the data scientist show, a uh, very good podcast. I recommend uh, everyone to yes. to give it a listen. Um, Vin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast, sharing all this expertise with you. I look forward to to see more from you. I have three little questions um, towards uh, like ending this uh, this episode. Um, the first one is um, how do you improve yourself? Uh, on, a, on a daily basis? How do you keep improving yourself? I keep making mistakes. That's where we think the secret to success is being great and succeeding. Mm-hmm. The secret to success is finding out what's broken. Mm. So the it really is about doing really difficult things, stretching your capabilities, trying and failing, but not mm-hmm. failing intentionally, failing with a plan. So what do you do? Okay, I'm detecting failure. What do I do? And that's mm. the improvement cycle. Mm. You want to be able to detect failure faster. You want to see it happening versus after it happens and terrible things go wrong. Mm-hmm. So you want to prevent failure by seeing it coming, but also get better at figuring out how to fix, how to improve, how to prevent. Mm. So what are the root causes of the failure you're about to run into? What mm-hmm. can you do to fix? What can you do to improve? What do I need to learn? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to hire? In a lot of cases, I won't ever know everything. Who do I need to work with? Who do I need to ask for help? There's a lot of improvement value in that cycle of 
getting more forward-looking, seeing mistakes coming, finding root causes, determining solutions, really predicting the impact of a change, and then putting that into practice. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Great. This made me thinking. This whole episode uh, had my mind <laughs> running. Um, Vin, if for the people who are listening to us right now, they would like to know more about yourself, about your work, what you're doing, your courses, your your book that is going to come out. Uh, um, how can people reach out to you or see more of what you do? Uh, you can find me at datascience.vin. That website has all of my links, uh, socials down at the bottom. You just scroll to the bottom, you'll find uh, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. I've got mm -hmm. a substack. It's vinvashishta.substack.com. You can mm -hmm. find a link to that on datascience.vin as well. Mm -hmm. those are the easiest ways to come and find more content, learn a little bit more about what I'm working on, taking classes, uh, sending me an email saying, Hey, how are you doing? Any of those things are definitely welcome. Great. Perfect. And last question. Um, would you have a message? It can be anything. It can be related to AI. It can be a personal, something that drives you. I know we talk a lot about that, but do you have any message for everyone that listens? Follow what you're interested in. Find something you love. Spend as much time trying to find that thing that makes you happy, that you enjoy doing, those concepts you enjoy learning, whatever it is. Find something you're passionate about. Once you do that, the rest of your life will make so much more sense. So find something you really love doing and start collecting things that you love to do. Find your why. That's it perfect yep. message to to end this, uh, this podcast thanks a lot vin for coming on the podcast again I thank had you for such having great me time and i wish you all the best thank you congrats you've made it to the end i hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things to learn more about ai you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog and to support the podcast you can give us a review on apple podcast or spotify You can also share it with two friends, colleagues, or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.